But I used to be a pastor elder here um, back in the day. And about two years ago, my family and I moved to San Antonio. So most of you I know, there's a lot of new faces in here I don't know. Um, But that's a little bit who I am. Sarah's here, kids are here. Feel free to give them hugs afterward. And the good news is I haven't preached in probably a year or so. So I have a lot to say. And I was joking with Patrick earlier uh, the other day that um, in prepping for today, I have about 2,600 words, which typically for most people would be about a 25 to 30 minute sermon. And when I said 2,600 words, he's like, oh, sweet, that's about a 45 minute sermon for you. I'm like, probably. Um, but I've added words since then, so good news. Uh, But before we dive in, uh, I want to pray for us, and then uh, we will jump into the book of 1 Timothy chapter 4. Father, thank you. Um, Thank you for your faithfulness to us. And Jesus, we're grateful that you call us your own, and you invite us in as your church to worship together to enjoy you together, to look and turn our hearts to you together. And we pray this morning that your presence would, uh, would, would strengthen, would comfort, would encourage, would convict, would stir faith and awaken us as your church and your people. Father, guide us now by your spirit. Amen. done. Let it be so. All right, a little, since we're being interactive this morning, raise your hand if you've ever been in a situation, and I'm serious, raise your hand if you've ever been in a situation that you've had the thought, there's got to be someone better for me, better for this job than me. There's got to be someone out there better than me for this. Okay. Raise your hand or keep it raised if you've ever had the thought that I don't know if I can do this, whatever this is. I don't know if I can do this. So about 10 years ago, back in 2012, I was invited to become the executive director of an organization called Better Days. For those of you who don't know, I'm the executive director of an organization called Better Days, which is a ministry that provides counseling and care for the church, but primarily for pastors and ministry leaders. Uh, But back in 2012, I got invited to be the executive director. Uh, We had moved to Kingwood several months prior to come on board with Better Days as a counselor, working alongside the founder, Chad Carter. Before that, I had been an associate pastor. I had served as an elder and a co-planter of a church plant in Houston, I had been on short-term mission trips. I had done ministry in some context for nearly 12 years at that point. I loved Jesus. I loved serving the church. I had a decent understanding of church culture, a decent understanding of the, the workings of church life and gospel ministry. I'd only, but I'd only been in full-time counseling ministry for about nine months, give or take, at that point. So I, don't, I, I had known the work of Better Days for less than a year, and I got invited to be the executive director. 
So I had never, even though I had all this ministry experience, I had never been the executive director of a nonprofit. So at that moment, I was kind of at a crossroads, and I realized I loved my job. I loved the heart and the vision of Better Days. I was encouraged by having been mentored by Chad. So I, I was telling, well, I, okay, I'll do this. So I accepted the invitation, became the director, and my first task as the new director was to start meeting with pastors and, and partners and friends of Better Days through the years and, and talking with them about the change. Because up to that point, it had just been Chad for about 10 years. Chad Carter running his ministry of Better Days for about 10 years. And then this change happens, and now I'm the director. And so I start sitting down with all these partners and friends through the years. And the more I sat down, this one question kept coming back around in the conversations. Where's Chad? <laughs> okay, I get it. It's a good question to ask. But listen, the heart of Better Days is the same. The focus and the vision of Better Days is the same. The gospel power behind the ministry is the same. All of, the, all of Better Days is the same. But where's Chad? So needless to say, in all of those conversations in that season, it didn't help my ego out very much. Like, my ego kept taking a hit as I had these conversations. And I started struggling with a lot of doubt and disappointment which led to a lot of insecurities and anxieties. And you can talk to Diana Johns about that, and you can talk to my wife about that back then. Lots of anxieties, lots of insecurities rising up. And I didn't feel adequate for the job. I felt afraid. I felt ill-equipped. I'd been in ministry for 10-plus years in different countries, ministering the gospel. I'd been on staff at multiple church. I had a master's degree in counseling, and I felt ill-equipped. I had all these questions swirling around in my mind in that season that kept saying to me, you can't do this. There's got to be somebody better for you than, better than, than, than you for this just swirling in my head because I wasn't Chad. I had the experience, I had the training, but I wasn't Chad. So I asked all of you to raise your hand if you had ever had these thoughts or wrestled with these questions. And if you would have looked around the room at the moment like I could see, pretty much everybody raised their hand. And I think that this is part of the human condition. It's part of our struggle as human beings. We, we wrestle with anxieties and fears and insecurities and doubts and we deal with comparison. We look at other people and we compare their experience or their age or their, their status or whatever they're doing. We, we struggle with that and it stirs all these emotions within us as humans. Now over the past several months, you guys have been getting pretty familiar with 1 Timothy. You're familiar with Paul and what he's been writing to this young pastor. You're familiar with, probably with the, the reality of the situation and what's going on here, that Paul left Timothy in Ephesus to, to remain while he was gone to be the pastor for the people until he came back. And so up to this point in our text today, we're in chapter, chapter four, we have about three chapters of instruction that Paul's been given Timothy on how people are to conduct themselves within God's household. Yeah, chapter three, verse 15. 
This is, this is why he's writing. So how, here's how the people of God are to, to conduct themselves, and here's how you, the pastor, are to teach them and lead them. And in today's text, verses 11 through 16, which I'm going to read in a moment, we see the fatherly heart of Paul, because in the very beginning of the letter, he says, is my spiritual son. Timothy is my spiritual son. So we see the fatherly heart of Paul come out, and it shifts from instruction about the church to the care and encouragement of his spiritual son. After laying out all of this instruction for three, going into four chapters now, all the things Timothy is to proclaim and teach and lead the church in, it's almost like Paul's sitting there writing this letter to him, and he gets to this moment, and he stops, and he goes, man, I can feel Timothy's anxiety rising up right now. I know my son. Hmm. He's probably getting a little anxious and insecure. I've been, I've been asking a lot of him. I've been giving him a lot of instruction and putting him out there in front of the people to to lead in this way, and he's probably reading this and going, yeah, Paul, that's great and all, but I'm not you. Do you know how young I am, Paul? <laughs> I'm not sure if these people are going to respect me or listen to me. It's like Paul, the fatherly heart of Paul, he imagines in this moment, Tim Timothy reading this letter, and he shifts gears in this moment. And he writes this to his spiritual son. He says, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Don't neglect the gift you have, which is given to you in prophecy, by prophecy, when the council of the elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching and persist in this. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So he takes a moment in the letter and he turns his attention and he addresses Timothy's anxieties and securities head on. Sure, Timothy's not Paul. His age relative to Paul is quite young. Timothy wasn't necessarily a really young man, but in comparison to Paul and the history and the experience that Paul had, Timothy didn't have any of that. And there were going to be people in the church that did not respect Timothy. There were going to be people in the church that were going to criticize him and look down upon him for, for particular things. But Paul looks at him, theoretically, looks at him through this letter and says, don't let them. It's so great having him back there on the wall. This is so new. It's like, it's like we've arrived. I can read the text without looking at my Bible. It's amazing. Let no one, don't let them. In the words of William Barclay, a Scottish theologian, 
he interpreted it this way. He says, silence criticism by conduct. Silence criticism by conduct. Be the example, Timothy. Don't let them prove, be proven right by your shrinking back. Instead, live it out boldly. See, after a few months of being the director of Better Days, when I was floundering in my anxieties and my insecurities, and I, I describe that season of life, when I tell people the story, my story, I often describe that season of life as flopping like a fish out of water. That's kind of how I felt for about two years after I became the director of Better Days. And there was a moment after the first several months where we had had this, um, it was a men's, early morning men's meeting, Christ Church men's meeting, and we get done, like men's Bible study, and we get done, and I'm standing in the parking lot with a good friend of mine that some of you may know, he's not here this morning on sabbatical, but a good friend of mine, I'm standing there with him, and I'm lamenting how I'm feeling about all of these anxieties and all the, yeah, where's Chad, but you're not Chad moments. I'm, and I'm just lamenting and letting him have it, and he looks at me as this guy typically does, and he basically says, quit acting like a counselor and start being the director. And then he's like, you need to get rid of all of your business cards that say counselor on them, and you need to print new business cards that say Better, Better Days Executive Director on them. Silence criticism by your conduct. And I know this is kind of cliche here and silly, but he essentially told me to start living into my calling, living into my new identity, living into who I was commissioned to be. I was commissioned to be the Better Days Executive Director. That's who you are. You were called to do this. And we see Paul doing the same thing here for this young pastor in Timothy. Don't let them despise you, but set the example. Be that to whom you've been called. So typically, I don't know if you guys experience this, but oftentimes when we feel ill-equipped or we feel um, these anxieties rise up within us, we feel too young, we feel too old, we feel not smart enough, we feel whatever, we're comparing in our lives and we start to feel those anxieties and insecurities, typically there's two directions we'll go. Direction one, we become bigger than we really are. We make ourselves bigger than we really are. Our pride takes over in our insecurities and in our doubts and our fears. Our pride takes over and we try to become bigger than we are. Meaning we get louder, we get more exuberant, we get maybe like in the, in the Christian church world, we may go get a bigger Bible. <laughs> if we're a pastor, we may get a fancier suit or maybe actually get rid of our suit and start wearing the skinny jeans and look cool. We try, we try to make ourselves, we start speaking different language, start to become trendy and hip. We make ourselves bigger than we truly are in our pride because we feel anxious, we feel insecure. And the other route we typically take is, you guessed it, we get smaller than we really are. We have a tendency to pull back, to get quiet, to let somebody else do the work. We avoid, we disengage relationally or vocationally because we feel insecure or anxious about it. And that's what Paul's addressing in Timothy right here. It wasn't the first time 
You read in 1 Corinthians 16, 10, Timothy tells the church, in, or Paul tells the church in Corinthian, Corinth says, when Timothy comes to you, see that you put him at ease among you. He already know. Timothy's going to come. He's going to be a little anxious, a little fearful. You need to calm him down, put him at ease. He's doing the work of the Lord. Remind him of that, right? So let no one despise him. Paul's words to the Corinthian church. Let no one despise this young man. He knows the fears and anxieties that Timothy's going to have, and he's going to pull back relationally. Put him at ease. Because here's what happens when we take these two routes. Pride rises up within us to address our anxieties, and we get bigger or we get smaller. And when we do that, we begin to, as Paul says here in a way, neglect the gifts of God within us. Neglect, he says, don't neglect the gift you have. When we become too big for ourselves, we get bigger, we begin to take things into our own hands. We do it in our own power. We do it in our own strength. We don't rest in the power and the strength and the grace of God. And when we make ourselves too little and we give our responsibilities to other people or we pull back and we avoid, we're not resting and trusting in the power and the grace in the strength of God, we're neglecting the gift of God within us. So regardless of which direction we are prone to, neither one of these really helps in living out the calling of God in our life. Neither one of them really helps us, encourages us to live humble, to live lovingly, to live faithfully, to proclaim the gospel with humility, it really isn't very beneficial or helpful to those that we're trying to serve, not just to us, but those we're trying to serve and love and care for. When we're trying to be too big or too little and not trusting and we neglect the gift of God, it's not very helpful for those that we are trying to help. And here's a little caveat about this text, right? It's written to a pastor. It's written to a church leader. It's written to encourage him to live and lead the church in a particular way, but it's not just for him. He says, set the, set the example for all, all believers. This is for all of us, the whole church. So I'm going to, fairly quickly, break down these, these words here and look at what this encouragement actually is. He says, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young, but set the example for the believers in your speech, in your conduct, in your love and faith and impurity. He starts off with speech because the way we talk really matters. He's not just addressing Timothy's preaching and teaching. He does that a little bit later, but he's addressing how he talks to people in conversation with people. Your speech matters. People are listening to you. When you're not preaching and teaching and you're just having conversation, Timothy, set the example for how you're to talk with people. The Bible is full of references. You can go look them all up if you want about controlling our tongue, encouraging speech, life-giving words. Proverbs is full of it. But here's a couple. Ephesians 4, 29 says, Don't let any corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear you. 
Our speech matters. Set the example for the believers in conduct. So it's not just what you say, it's how you live. The way we live matters. People are watching how we live our lives. Matthew 5 says in the same way, let your light shine before others, the way you're living before others, that they may see your good works. 1 Peter 2.12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. Silence criticism with conduct, the way you're living your life. In the way we speak, in the way we live our lives, saturated in these three elements, love, faith, purity. Love, greatest commandment. There's nothing greater than love. 1 Corinthians 13, there's nothing more important than love. If I could have all these things and not have love, then I'm just, I'm really nothing. So does love saturate your speech? Does love saturate your conduct? In faith, Continue the path of faith in all circumstances. Trust God. Live a life of faith and faithfulness in all things. And purity. Recently, I heard a pastor tell, talk about we were walking through um, at our church in San Antonio, walking through the Beatitudes, and blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And he break down, broke down this word purity, and he used this quote from Kierkegaard, it says, purity of heart is to will one thing. Purity of heart is to will one thing. To be pure after one thing. Consistency of holy motive followed out, followed out by consistency of holy action. To will one thing, to be pure. Is your life pure? Is your speech pure? Does it demonstrate this life that wills as Jesus said in the garden, not my will, but your will be done. To will one thing. So when we give in to our insecurities and our anxieties, we're typically not very loving. We're typically faltering in faith. And we oftentimes, are, our motives are tainted. When we make ourselves big or ourselves small, we have tainted motives. We're not living by faith. And we cannot be very loving at times. We can throw off our speech and conduct. And we tend to neglect. That's where the neglecting of the gift of God comes. So how do we be these examples and these patterns of life for others to follow? Um, Paul says a couple things here. Uh, he says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. So he says, do this. So I continue to do that, right? So basically he says, be faithful in what you know to do. Continue doing that. And it says, don't neglect the gift which was given you by prophecy. He calls him back to remembrance. He says, remember that time. Remember. So there's a remembrance and a staying consistent. There's a guy by the name of uh, Kobe Bryant wrote a book called Mamba Mentality. Some of you may have heard of him or that book, but uh, says he, he wrote, a lot of people say they wanted to be great, but they're not willing to make the sacrifices necessary to achieve greatness. They have other concerns, whether important or not, and they spread themselves out. 
that's totally fine. After all, greatness is not for everybody. It's just for me. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Thanks, Cobe. Then he says, the mindset isn't about seeking a result. It's more about the process of getting to that result. It's about the journey and the approach. It's a way of life. Now, Kobe Bryant's talking in the context of basketball greatness, which is being presented in, in, in people's lives and all of their lives, right? He, so he's trying to translate the experience he's had in his career into people's just normal lives. If you want to be great, he says you need to sacrifice, you need to focus and have concern, and you need to live a way of life. Wow, check out what Paul tells Timothy here. He says, practice these things, immerse yourself in them, commit yourself to them. Keep a close watch on your life. Persist, persevere. <laughs> Very similar words. You need to practice, you need to immerse, you need to keep a close watch, and you need to persist in these things. Live a life of love, faith, and purity over and over and over again. Day in, day out. You did it yesterday? Great. Do it again tomorrow. Do it today. Do it tomorrow. You go back to it when you fail. You doubted. Okay, that's all right. Believe again. You weren't very loving today. Okay, repent. Turn back and love again. You were distracted. Okay, turn your attention back. Continue to practice these things. Continue day in, day out to do this. A life of love, faith, and purity. Commit yourself to them. Be in them. Immerse yourself in them. Be attentive. Be concerned with those things. The gift of God within you, don't let it become like a smoldering fire that's just sitting there smoking. Give attention to it. Blow upon it. Put yourself in positions and places that it can grow and be strengthened. Give attention to it. And then he says persist. Another word is persevere. Because this way of living is, is not just a one-time thing, right? Thanks to Froby. Froby says, hey, it's a way of life. Well, Paul tells Timothy, persevere. It's your way of life. This is the way you do it. Day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out. It becomes your way of living. And it's gonna take perseverance. It's gonna get hard. You're gonna have moments. There are going to be people that are going to criticize you. There are going to be moments in your life where you feel doubt and fear and you're comparing, and you're insecure, and you're struggling. Push through that. Continue to persevere through that. And continue living a life of faith, purity, and love. The giving in to our anxieties or doubting our calling and neglecting the good gift of God within us really hinders the work of the gospel. Because he says, persevere in this, and you'll bring, you'll save yourself and your hearers, Right? Meaning, you're going to see the 
the gospel transform your life as you continue to live this way. And as you're living this way among other people, you're going to continue to see the gospel transform their lives as you persevere and live this way. Just as the Apostle Paul knew the fears and anxieties of his spiritual son, Here's the good news for us this morning. There's a father, an eternal father, who knows us far more intimately than Paul knew Timothy. He knows our anxieties. He knows our fears. He knows our doubts and our insecurities. He knows our tendency to exalt ourselves in particular situations, to get bigger than we really are. He knows our tendency to belittle ourselves and get smaller than we really are. And just like Paul turning his attention to Timothy, our Father in heaven has turned his attention to us in Christ. The affections, his love for us, the movement of his love for us has been turned towards us in Christ. And it's our our identity as his beloved children that quiets those anxieties and those insecurities. It's our belovedness as his children that dispels the criticism. We love because he first loved us. Paul tells Timothy, live a life, your speech and your conduct filled with love. Well, he's able to do that because he has been loved by God first. Timothy, live a life of faith. We have faith because he has been faithful to us. Live a life of purity. Be pure. Will one thing. We can live a pure life and will one thing because Jesus himself set his face like flint to live the one will of the Father. Not my will but yours be done. And because he's been faithful in that, we can live purely. Here's the good news to us this morning. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Don't be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Hebrews 10.39 says, We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and persevere and are saved. This is the gospel truth to us this morning. This is the central focus of our love, our faith, our purity. It's what saturates our speech and our conduct. This is what we practice, what we immerse ourselves in, what we give attention to. This is what empowers us to persevere 
and to endure, to continue and persist in the calling of God on our lives, to be people of love, faith, and purity. Living in this way is the way of salvation for us and for those around us. Believing and trusting and immersing and persisting in the gospel. So this morning, I'm going to leave you with a couple of questions to process and ponder. What are some of the things that keep you back from fulfilling the call of God on your life and neglecting the gift of God within you? In what ways do you find yourself making yourself bigger than you really are? Or belittling yourself? And making yourself smaller than you really are? How can you, by God's grace, live a life, speech and conduct, that's filled with love and faith and purity? And be an example to others to trust God in his love, in his care for you, because you're his beloved. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your faithfulness. Thank you for your willingness and obedience the Father, to live a life of holiness and perfection, to set your face, to endure the cross. On our behalf, thank you for calling us through the gospel, your children. Thank you for giving us faith when we doubt. For loving us so that we can love others. And I thank you this morning, Father, that your perfect love for us casts out all fear, spells all anxieties, insecurities, doubts, where our own pride seeks to rise up or belittle. Help us, God, as your people to be humble to trust and receive the beauty and the power of the gospel to bring salvation to our own souls and to those around us. We love you, Jesus. Amen.